Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning at verse 46. Luke 6, 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever therefore cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man which built without a foundation, built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently. And immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Father, thank you for your holy word. We study it in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Ghost to enlarge our capacity to receive revelation knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability of all things that pertain to life and godliness. We thank you for perception, dear Father God, of all these things, that we may walk as doers of the word and not hearers only. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth in the power of the Spirit that our faith would stand not in men's wisdom but in the power of the living God. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Thanks be to God for His holy written word. I want you to notice that Jesus said in verse 48, when the flood arose. When the flood arose. In other words, the storms of life are going to come to us all. No matter who you are, no matter what your name is, no matter what your status is in life, no matter what position you hold in life, the storms of life come to all of us. Some have the idea that because God has called people into the ministry and anointed them to stand in a specific office, that they are exempt from any kind of attack of the enemy or the floods of the storms of life. But you see, that is an untruth. We understand that Jesus said here that the storms of life come to all of us. No matter who we are, the storms of life will come to each and every one of us. And I believe that we need to get that other type of thinking out of our minds. Thinking that because someone has a high office, because someone has been used to, to lay hands on the sick and they recover, someone has a miracle ministry that they are exempt from being attacked even in their own physical bodies. That is not true. I think that when people think that way, then they think of themselves as being a lesser Christian. They think that because their body was attacked, well, if I was just like so-and-so, my body wouldn't be attacked. See, they think that someone else is never attacked, so they think, if I'm attacked, then something must be wrong with me. I'm an inferior believer. Something is wrong with me. Brother, so-and-so would never be attacked like that. Are you kidding me? Let's get it into our hearts. Let it sink into our minds. No matter who we are, if we have human flesh, as long as we are breathing in with a pulse, the storms of life come to all of us. No, we don't want to preach about the storms. We don't want to 
always get involved in all the ugly details many times because of the storms that we face. We want to talk about the glory side and the victory side, but still, we have to understand and know that no matter who we are, we are all going to be attacked in this realm of life. Because Jesus says, when the storm comes, so with that understanding and that mentality, beloved, then we can just prepare ourselves as individuals by laying a good, firm, solid foundation for our lives, knowing that, look, the storms are going to come. And also, we can remove the guilt and the condemnation, eradicate all that from our lives, knowing that no matter who I am, the storm is going to come. And so just because a storm has come to my house, it doesn't mean I'm an inferior Christian. It doesn't mean I haven't arrived at a level of faith that will prevent any storm from coming, because no matter who you are. I remember when Jesus was out there on the boat, the storm came. Are we saying that Jesus was inferior? I know, because he was sleeping, not studying, right? <laughs> That's why it came, Lord, you fell asleep. No, the body needs to sleep. How many of you know that? The body needs rest. How many of you know that? Well, does that mean Jesus was inferior? No. What did he do when the storm came? One time he spoke to it, and still to the other time he walked on it. Once he walked all over it, the other one he spoke to it and told it to stand still, and it did. Stop. No, he was the one who was in charge. He was the one who was the master of the circumstances. Even Jesus was not exempt from satanic attack. In the wilderness, the devil came to him in all three realms of life. Does that mean he was inferior? No, absolutely not. But see, some have this mentality. I don't understand it. Why is this happening to me? Why am I struggling with this? Or why am I facing sickness or disease? Or why is this thing, you know, cropped up here and over there? Beloved, no matter who we are, the storms of life will come to each and every one of us. But in order for us to be victorious over the storm, Jesus taught us this. He said there are two types of believers. Those that hear the word and don't do it, and those that hear the word and do it. Now, the person that does not act upon the principles of God's word when the storm comes, then that person's house is going to fall. And they can be devastated by the storm. He said, but the one who listens to the word or takes heed and applies the principles of the word of God to his circumstances of life, that's a person whose house will not be shaken or whose life will not be devastated. Because he is a doer of the Word of God. Now that's what I want to talk to us about this morning. Doing what it takes to be made whole. Doing what it takes to be made whole. We have got to do our part. And we've got to do whatever it takes in order for us to be made whole. Or to be set free. Or to overcome the storm, whether it's sickness or disease or anything else. But since this is Healing Sunday, we'll talk about sickness and disease and overcoming it. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, let's first of all take a few of the, take a look at some of the biblical examples that we have recorded in the Gospels regarding overcoming sickness and disease and also overcoming other situations that require creative miracles, the creative power of God in operation. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, we have recorded for us the incident of the man who had a withered hand. 
And in verse 1 it says, He entered into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when they had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. I want you to notice that first of all, this man needed a creative miracle. His hand was not fully formed. So he needed the creative power of God at work in his life. How difficult is it to have that power in operation? Well, as I study through this, all I find out is that Jesus gave a command. Two things he said to this man. Number one, stand forth. Number two, stretch forth thine hand. Number one, in verse three, he said to the man, stand forth. And number two, in verse five, he said, stretch forth thine hand. This man had to do what Jesus told him to do in order to be made whole. I know it was simple and it doesn't sound hard. But obviously, there's a lot of tradition behind it, religion behind it. And even though the man seemingly had a small thing to do, I believe it was big for him to take the step that Jesus told him to take. There in that synagogue, they were trying to entrap Jesus. They were trying to get a hold of his words and to use anything they could to destroy him. They took counsel. They were trying to figure out ways that they can destroy his life. This man identifies himself with Jesus by listening to what Jesus told him to do and doing what Jesus told him to do. This was a Sabbath day. Supposedly, they were not to be healing the sick or doing any work on the Sabbath day. Jesus looks at a man and says, stand forth. And I can say it this way. Stand up for your rights and privileges. Stand up for what is yours. Here we are in a synagogue. Here they are looking at me. They're looking at us. And they've got it all figured out. Religion has it all figured out. This is the way it's supposed to be. Tradition has it all figured out. This is the way it is. He said, look, friend, stand forth. Stand up. I believe he could have stood up a long time ago. He just needed someone to give him the initiative and the motivation. And Jesus looked him eyeball to eyeball and said, stand up. It doesn't matter if it's a Sabbath day or not. And you'll find out that Jesus clarifies it all by saying, look, Man wasn't made for the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was made for the man. Man's in charge, not the Sabbath day. And so the man stood forth, knowing full well that if he did, he himself could be accused. Nevertheless, he stood forth. Beloved, if we want what God has for us, stand up for what is yours. Take a firm stand against religious tradition. Take a firm stand against the storms of life. Take a firm stand and say, it's my right, it's my privilege. I'm standing up for what is mine. And then Jesus said, stretch forth. In other words, use your faith. Do what you could not do. Isn't it amazing that in connection with faith, we always have God telling us to do something that seemingly we cannot do. Or in the natural, is impossible to do. 
And when we take that impossible step, God meets us right there as we act. How could that man make his own hand become whole? He can't. He cooperated with Jesus. He stood up for what was his. And then when he stretched forth his hand, the action of God took place. He did his part. God began doing his part. And a creative miracle took place. That withered hand became whole. It was made whole. It means all the, everything, the bone, muscle, tissue, everything inside it became normal by the creative ability of God. Because the man did what he had to do to be made whole. Let's look at another situation in John's Gospel, chapter 5. Here we have the incident of the impotent man at Bethesda. In verse 1, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is at Jerusalem by a sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Now, Bethesda just means house of mercy or compassion. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind halt withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Seemed like at a certain season, an angel troubled the water, and there was power or virtue released to heal the person that went in. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. It didn't matter. The nature of it did not matter. The cause of it didn't matter. Whatever it was that they had, they were made whole of. And a certain man, now this is being more specific, was there, which had an infirmity 38 years, a long time for a person to be bound up. And I guarantee you that if, he, if Jesus probably didn't come along at that particular time, he'd have been there for the rest of his life. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had now been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, now notice, Wilt thou be made whole? What a silly question to our natural minds. We could say it like this, Will you do what is necessary for you to be made whole? Will you do what it takes for you to be made whole? Will you? See, we have this mentality. Well, God, I'm waiting. Will you do it for me? I want healing. Will you please get me healed? Whatever it is. Now, Lord, I've been looking at the Word and all that. I want, to, you know, I want my healing to be made manifest. And I believe He's on the other side saying, Well, will you do what it takes to be made whole? Will you do what it takes to be made whole? Will you do what it takes to be made free? Will you do what it takes for your mind to be delivered? Will you do what, what it takes or what I require of you for you to be delivered or set free or made whole or healed in your body or your family restored, your marriage restored, whatever the situation may be? Will you do what it takes? That's the question that he asks. Will thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him as we would with a carnal mind that's unrenewed. Sir, I have no man. We're always looking to a man. Always looking to somebody else to help us along the way. When the water is troubled. To put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise. Here is the command. Will you do what is necessary to be made whole? Will you take those steps of faith? Rise. Take up thy bed and walk. 
Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Now think about it. He tells this man who couldn't even get down to the water as it was troubled. I mean, what motivation? The water's being troubled. He knows that. And it's time. And yet, with all the effort that he has, he can't get there first. He's trying, but he just can't get there first. So Jesus just says, rise. This man had to do what Jesus said in order to be made whole. But he had to be willing to do it. He had to take the steps that Jesus required of him to be made whole. And so, how did he rise? Beloved, I really believe that when we have the divine directive and we act upon it, no matter what our situation is, I'm not talking about the word of a man or word of somebody else. I'm talking about the divine directive. When God speaks and God says, and that revelation dawns upon our hearts, the moment we act and we do what it takes, even though we can't do it in the natural the moment we act to take the step toward doing it is when God moves by His Spirit and supernatural comes together with the natural and a miracle begins to take place. How do you school people into that place? Believe me, beloved, it's not an easy thing to do. Because it means setting aside some of our natural tendencies and things that we would normally do in the natural or not do in the natural. To do something that God requires of us that seemingly is impossible. How did the man rise when he couldn't rise? Can anyone explain that? Well, once again, the moment he took the initiative to act upon the word rise that Jesus spoke to him, at that moment the natural came into contact with the supernatural and divine intervention took place and he rose. He arose. And then the second thing Jesus said for him to do, did you ever think about this one? He said, take up thy bed. Notice, rise, then secondly, take up thy bed. And in, if you're living back then in those days, it's not a bed. He wasn't carrying around one of the big beds we sleep in today. You know that. It was nothing more than a rag pallet that he was lying on, of course, for who knows how long. People probably carried him there and set him there and all that. And you know the whole scenario. But Jesus says, take up thy rag pallet. Why would he say that to him? You stop and think that some people, if they have it there, might have a tendency to have a relapse. You get so used to something, you get so comfortable with something, and so used to leaning on something, that there's always a temptation to fall back on it. And so Jesus didn't want him doing that. He didn't want him lying back down, just like this one woman who was sitting in a wheelchair. And the power of God came upon her and lifted her up off that wheelchair and she was suspended literally in midair with the wheelchair down there beneath her. Now she had a choice. Now God doesn't always do that. That's not always a, an occasion or something that takes place you know, all the time. Something like that happens only on occasion. Well, when this happened, this woman, instead of leaping forward and walking in the power of the Spirit and being restored to health so she can walk again, she reached back down to grab a hold of the wheelchair fell back down, and when she did this, she fell back down, and she was not delivered and set free from her paralysis. See, there's always a tendency for us to fall back in dependency on those things that we've trusted in for such a long time. So Jesus says, take up your bed with you and walk. So he didn't want that to happen. Also, we can say that when he lifted it up, he wanted everybody to see that he was made whole, every whit whole. That bed that carried him, now he is carrying He's not bound by that thing anymore. That thing now is in subjection to him. 
He's walking around with that, showing not only can he walk, but praise God, he can even carry it. God restored him to full strength. So, you, you see, it's, it's important that we understand that God wants us to do certain things. And if we'll act accordingly at the moment of our action, or the moment of acting upon the Word of God, cooperating with God, His miracle-working power is in manifestation at that moment. Now, we, we experience difficulty when we try to tell people to do something, and yet they're acting only on the Word of a man and not on the Word of God. We try to tell people, do this. You get out of your wheelchair. You just rise up and walk and do all this. Beloved, it's not the Word of man that's involved here. It is the Word of God and the condition of the person's heart who is to receive the miracle from God. And I would say probably the third reason why he told him to carry his rag pallet was because of personal identity. They weren't used to seeing this man walking around, but he was carrying that rag pallet, and they saw, you're the man that was bound to that thing. What happened to you? And, of course, he told what happened to him. And, of course, it was again on the Sabbath day. Boy, Jesus just does those things on the Sabbath day, doesn't he? And they're furious. I mean, they're infuriated. They're upset with him because of what he did. They're upset with the man because he's carrying his rag pellet and all that. Hmm. Another one is found in John's Gospel, chapter 9. And while you're turning there, let me share with you this particular testimony. See, when God speaks to us and tells us to do certain things, we have to ask ourselves this question. Am I willing to do what it takes to be made whole? Am I willing to do my part? Because, beloved, if we're expecting God to do something apart from our willingness to do our part, then we're going to be at a standstill with God. He cannot move upon our lives by the action of His Holy Spirit to cause things to change unless we are willing to do our part or to do what is necessary, whatever it takes to be made whole. And that includes every realm of life. This particular woman went to a crusade that was being held. And the first night that she went to that crusade, of course, she had need of healing. She was in a wheelchair. She could not walk. She was in an accident. She could not walk for a period of time. And people all around her were being delivered and set free by the power of God. And she was rejoicing in all that. Well, at the time that God's miracle-working power was in manifestation, this particular woman, she began to act... As they were acting. And she said within herself that she was going to do what it takes to be made whole. And in the process, she fell flat on her face, onto the dirt. I mean, could not lift herself up, tried as much as she possibly could, and just got herself full of dirt and all dirty and muddy and all that. But she was not discouraged. The second night, she went back to the crusade. And once again, she was doing the same thing. She saw all the people of God that were being delivered and set free by the power of God. Miracles taking place right before her eyes. Miracles happening one after another after another. Deaf ears being opened, blind eyes being opened, and others walking and all that. But yet there she was, unable to walk. But she maintained her joy, and she was still sincere, and she did not give up her fight of faith. She again attempted on her own to step out in faith, and once again fell flat on her face in the dirt, just like rolling around in dirt trying to do anything she could possibly muster up inside her being to demonstrate to God that I believe and I'm acting on your word. Now, believe it, beloved, 
most believers at this particular time would probably give up and quit because they would not be willing to do whatever it would take to be made whole. Too often we want the miracle power of God manifested at the moment we want it, and that's all there is to it. And if it doesn't happen instantaneously at this moment of time, then we're not willing to put forth any more effort or energy to get our desired result. And so we just put it on the shelf and give it a half-hearted attempt from that point on. Beloved, I believe the Father God is speaking to our hearts saying, get back to basics. Get back into aligning yourself with my word. Get back into having a zeal of God according to knowledge. And get back acting on the things that you know to do. Have a tenacity of faith on the inside of you. And don't you give up. You stand up for your rights. You stand firm in the face of all opposition and adversity. And you do what it takes to be made whole in your life. It belongs to you. This woman, needless to say, on the third night did the same thing. Others were getting healed around her and delivered and set free by the power of God. Yet there she was, and she did everything, made an attempt. And on the third night, are you ready for this? This is, this is I, I believe it. Believe me. I believe it. As the brother was sharing this with us, he said the, the people came, Christians, and said to the woman, Look, you've tried for three nights to do this, and it's not worked. Just accept it and forget about it and stop embarrassing yourself and us. Because this is ridiculous. This is like some type of a show that you're doing, that you're putting on. You know, beloved, it's sad to say when your own brothers and sisters, who you need so much to, to support in faith and love, can make such a statement to a child of God, a brother and sister in the Lord, who is endeavoring to do anything and everything she can to show God, I'm acting on your word. I'm doing what I know to do from my heart. I'm applying the principles in every way I possibly can, including even though I can't walk, I'm attempting to in the name of Jesus. And yet they're embarrassed. I really believe this. I really believe that the enemy will use that embarrassment or sense of failure to fall upon hearts of people just to keep people away from true faith in God. Like, oh, I shouldn't pray because if I prayed for you and you didn't get it, now I'm embarrassed now because, look, we prayed and the miracle didn't take place. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. We shouldn't have that kind of an attitude. And there shouldn't be any person in this place that would maintain that kind of an attitude. And if we see anyone putting forth any effort or energy to believe God for a miracle, we should be supportive and behind them 1,000%. And speak words of faith and speak words of love and encourage that person in spite of all their criticism in spite of their being embarrassed, she came back the next night, the fourth night, and she did the same thing. And at the beginning, the same thing happened. Fell flat on her face in the dirt, full of dirt all over her, everything. And, and I'm sure they were all embarrassed out there, but you know what? She didn't care. It was between herself and God. And then a couple of the brothers saw her again lying there in the dirt and all that, and they just went and picked her up. And when they did, the power of God hit her, and she was made whole. Most believers would have quit the first time. One service. I've attempted this. I've tried this. And then especially the second night. Had they not received it the first night, the second night would have been out of the question. I'm not going to embarrass myself and all that. Beloved, that's what, what the Bible means when it talks about a tenacity of faith, that the violent take it by force. You don't give up. You maintain a tenacious faith and a persevering attitude. I am not giving up. I will do what it takes, whatever it takes. I will do it to get myself healed. And in chapter 9 of John's Gospel, we have also recorded for us the man who was born blind. 
And this is the only individual referred to in the Bible as being born blind from birth in the Gospels. Anyhow, and you'll note in verse 32, just real quick to show you the magnitude of the miracle. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? But as you read through the story, just to save some time here, you'll find out that when Jesus confronted the man, he immediately just spit on the ground and made clay out of the spittle and put it into his eye sockets and said, now go wash in the pool of Siloam and you know all that. If you think that all the way through, clearly, knowing that the, the spittle that was made, the spittle clay, made out of the clay, that was placed upon his eyes, wouldn't you have to think that instead of that man's eyes being restored to health and, and being normal once again, that there would be a greater tendency for that person to become blind rather than to be made whole? Think about it. Doing something like that would have a tendency to cause a seeing man to go blind rather than a blind man to go seeing. Because it would harden and it would seal the eyes. But yet, just you know, Jesus is just being led by the Spirit of God. He makes clear of the spittle, puts it in an eye socket. What's he tell the guy? Go wash. Simplicity of faith. Go wash. The man goes on his way, does exactly what Jesus told him to do. He goes, he washes, he returns seeing. He did what it took to be made whole. Whatever it was that Jesus told him to do, he did. So that he would be made whole. Finally, I want you to look at what, if you would please, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, beginning at verse 49. You know the story. It's about Jairus and his daughter. And how she was at the point of death. Starting at verse 49, Luke 8, 49. While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead, or in the Greek, dead is thy daughter, trouble not the master. You'd have to back up to get the whole story there, but you know the story. So we see Jairus here in trouble. And finally, there are those that come from, from his house and they say, Look, dead is thy daughter, trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, he did not tell this man, stretch forth thine hand. He did not tell this man, go wash in the pool. He did not tell this man, rise up, take up thy bed and walk. He told this man, fear not. This man had to do what it took, whatever it would take to get a miracle. This man had to do what Jesus told him to do. And Jesus said to this man, fear not. His daughter has already been pronounced dead. Before the fear, the sorrow, and everything else gain entrance into his heart to destroy his spiritual initiative, Jesus responds, hearing those words saying to this man, fear not. He knew he was about to lose out. In heart. And he says, fear not, believe only, and thirdly, 
and she will be made whole. This man had to do what Jesus said do. Beloved, I believe if the man with the withered hand did not stand up for his rights and stretch forth his hand, he would not have been made whole. I believe the man who was born blind, if he did not go and wash in the pool of Siloam, he would not have been made whole. I firmly believe that the man on that rag pallet did not use any initiative that he had inside him to, to rise up to make an effort to get up. He would not have been made whole. I believe that Jairus' daughter would not have been raised from the dead had Jairus allowed fear to gain entrance into his heart. Jesus told the man, fear not, believe only, and she will be made whole. Look at verse 50. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And right there, beloved, those words made impact upon the heart of the man, Jairus. Fear left and faith stayed. He believed only. He believed only. In other words, he had faith only and not fear. And what was the end result? His daughter even after dying, was made whole. Now turn with me, if you would please, to James chapter 1. What does all that have to do with us? Well, beloved, very often what we're looking for is some of these directives from God. Now, Lord, if you just told me to rise up, take up my bed and walk, then I would do that so that I could be made whole. If you just put some... Clay spittle on my eyes, and likewise, I would go wash and I would be made whole. But you know as well as I do that we cannot look at these biblical things that took place and then make a doctrine on them. We can't start having these meetings where we're going to have people to come and make clay out of the spittle and put in their eyes and expect them to go and be whole if they're blind. We can't do that. We can't just look to anyone who's in a wheelchair or anyone who's lying on a bed who is paralyzed, unable to walk, and just say, just rise, take up your bed and walk. Just because Jesus did that. Now, there may be times that you do that, that is, you're inspired by the Spirit of God, but you just can't do that to everyone, expecting everyone to respond that way. And if you go on and, and look at all the other cases, not just because someone stretched forth his hand doesn't necessarily mean the person's hand is going to be restored and be made whole. It doesn't mean that. There are other factors involved. How many of you know that Jesus, or, or that the Word of God, by the Spirit of God says, if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. Do you know what? One of the directives that God has given us, one way of receiving physical healing and health into our bodies, is to call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them. And I'm going to go in the name of the Lord to pray for the sick Lord shall raise them up. Wait a minute. I would say for the most part, the calls we get do not come from the sick individual. I would say for the most part, the calls we get come from somebody who cares about the sick individual. And they're asking whether or not we would go do something to pray for these people. Sometimes you, don't, you just get, get on edge waiting to have... When that phone rings and someone says, 
Would you get over here and pray the prayer of faith for me? Because I'm tired of being sick. Be right over, brother. Glory to God. When I come, will you believe and receive? Oh, yeah. Just get over here quick as you can. I'm on my way. whole lot different than saying, Would you go pray for my aunt's uncle's brother's wife? Whoa. Do they want me to come? I don't know. <laughs> we don't have magic. I said, we don't have magic. We want directives. God has given us little simple things to do to act on our faith. But He wants the sick person to do it. Is any among you merry? Let him sing psalms. Anybody afflicted, let him pray. Any sick among you, let him call. Let him call. Let him call for the elders of the church. See, he knows the word. But he's in a situation where he's been unable for whatever reason to rise up to a place of victory. So let him call for reinforcements. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, there's just a type, there's just expectancy right there when you get the call from that person. Say, look, get over here and pray the prayer of faith for me because I'm getting up. Big difference, beloved. Expectancy. What other directives do we have? Very simple. Let's simply just go through some of these. Just write down some of these. What do we mean to apply the principles of God's Word to my life? Just as simply as the man stretched forth a hand at the Word of the Lord, stretched forth that hand. As easily as the man stood up, stand up. As he stood up because of the Word of Jesus. Just as Peter walked at the Word, come. Just as go wash means go wash. Rise up means rise up. If we were to look at these directives this, with the same mentality, do you understand what I'm saying? With the same mentality, I believe we'll get the same results. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray, anoint them with all. I believe with the same action, we'll get the same results. But do you see the faith factor here? Now, beloved, listen to what he said. And this includes every single one of us. Who is exempt from the storm of life? Who is exempt from satanic attack? Who is exempt from facing sickness and disease symptoms in the body? Who is exempt from all these things? No one is exempt. What did God tell us to do in general as believers? Write them down. Principle number one. Let's read through here. James, the servant, verse 1. James 1, 1. Of God and the Lord Jesus Christ of the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And temptation just means to, tempt, to test or to try. When your faith is being tempted, tested, or tried, principle number one is to count it all joy. Make note of that. Stand up. Stand forth. Go wash. Count it joy. What's the difference? There is no difference. It depends on the person's own relationship with God. If you know God speaking to you, this is instruction then that is for you. This is instruction that is for me. The storm's coming. And when the test the temptation or the trial comes. James, which is a practical book that gives us practical wisdom, 
It's like the New Testament book of Proverbs instructs us the first thing to do is something that is not natural. It is unnatural, just as unnatural as rising up to somebody who can't rise up. You're telling me to ignore all my emotional feelings because this test, this trial, this temptation has come against me. My body does not feel like counting it joy. My emotions do not feel like counting it all joy. And the directive you gave me is to count it all joy. Makes no sense to me. But beloved, principle number one, when we're encountering anything that opposes the will of God for our lives is to do what? You know why? Because the joy of the Lord is our fortified place. It's our strength. It's our fortified place. And you know what, beloved? If it's our strength, note this. We need spiritual energy to get spiritual results. We need spiritual energy in order to get miracles from God. And if the enemy can, can tap our joy, what does he do to our spiritual energy and strength? Saps it. Beloved, when we maintain what God said, count it joy, and we do that, then we are cooperating with divine power. Knowing this, that the trying... Now, you don't do this apart from knowledge. Knowing what? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh what? It works patience. Now, make note of these definitions. Patience, or as the NIV says, perseverance. Both words. Patience or perseverance. Vine's Expository Dictionary of Patience says this, the quality that does not surrender to circumstances or the quality that, that does not succumb to trial or succumb under trial. In other words, God wants us to be developed in patience, which means He does not want us to surrender under the pressure of circumstances or succumb under trial. Obviously, the, the attack is going to produce circumstances and trial and pressure. Patience, or developing in it, enables us to remain firmly planted, fixed, and stable without changing under the pressure of it all. Yes, my body gets attacked. Yes, your body gets attacked. It's what we do that will determine the outcome. Is the first thing that we do count it all joy or do we just let our strength go? Why is this happening to me? I'm all confused now. Dear Lord, why should I be encountering this in my life? I thought if I got involved with that faith message and that faith church that all these things would never come on me. See, you have a wrong idea, a wrong mindset, a wrong concept of spiritual things. Jesus never taught the storm won't ever come your way. What He taught was this, when it comes... You act upon the principles of the Word and you will not be overcome or devastated by the storm. He said, count it all joy. Stand up. Let that be that directive to you. Stand up. When it comes, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Knowing that the trying of your faith will enable you to develop in you this character, you will not surrender under the circumstance. You say, but I did after about three days. That's okay. Keep doing it. Next time it will be four days. Next time five days. Next time it will just be right on through the circumstance until you overcome. Perseverance means this, to persist in anything undertaken to maintain a purpose in spite of difficulty or obstacles. That woman persisted. In spite of the fact that she was eating dirt. 
I'm so humiliated. I'm so embarrassed. Yes, she was. In the natural, she was probably crawling with humiliation and embarrassment. Like anybody else would. Here I am in front of all these people eating dirt. Can't even stand on my own two feet. You know what? She persisted. She persevered. In spite of all the obstacles and all the difficulties that she encountered, she persisted. It means more to me to walk than it does what people care about me. That's what means more to me. That's what she was saying in her heart. So to persist in an undertaking, to stick with it, to stay with it, no matter what obstacles are in the way. We've got to get this mindset away from us. I want it now. And if I don't get it now, I quit. That is so wrong. No, I want it. I will do what it takes to get it. I'm not going to stop. I will be a persistent, persevering, patient person who will not give up no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the obstacle, no matter what the opposition. It does not matter to me. I will persevere unto the end. That's what God wants in us, an attitude of heart. I'll see it through to the end. Secondly, after counting it all joy, what am I to do? Verse, well, let's just read on verse 4, then 5. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Which is spelling out spiritual maturity. The ability to remain unchanging in the midst of circumstances is characteristic of a spiritual, mature person. But let him, if any of you in verse 5 ask, lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Now notice this. Secondly, I should ask wisdom from God. The Greek word there just means this, to have a broader picture. To have a broader picture of what's happening to me and what you want me to do. Have you ever encountered any kind of difficulty in your life? whether it's physical sickness, emotional problems, or anything like that, and you know it's a satanic attack, you know it's, it's opposing the will of God, but yet you feel as though that you're so confused and under so much chaos and all that, you just don't know what to do. Well, you know what? I think sometimes we have disregarded, again, the command of the Lord. The first thing you're to do is to count it all joy. Don't lose your joy because that's your strength. Know the fact that you are developing perseverance and, and patience in your life. And then ask of God wisdom. In other words, ask Him to give you a broader picture of what is happening in your life. Sometimes we just go on through it and we don't even ask anything of God. If you lack wisdom in that area, for an example, that man could have said, Well, now, Lord, I want to be made whole. What do you want me to do? He said, He didn't know God wanted him to rise up and walk. You want me to give more money? What do you want me to do, Lord? I'm not stopping until I walk. I'm not caving in. I'm not giving up until I achieve your purpose. I'm asking for you, of you, wisdom. For you to give me wisdom, a broader picture of this attack of the enemy or of whatever I need to know to do to get a result. So I count it all joy. This is another opportunity for me to prove that your word is above circumstances and that your word is steadfast. Sure, it's eternal. It's true in my life. Now, Father God, I'm having a little bit of problem here. I'm asking of you wisdom. Give me a broader picture. Let me know what I need to do in this situation so that I can do the right thing. 
that giveth to all men liberally. Now notice this. God freely gives this wisdom to all men and upbraideth not means he finds no fault with the person that asked him for the wisdom. And it shall be given him. God, in other words, wants us to have a broader picture and understanding of what is happening in our lives. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. That's the cause right there. Now do this. And that's what it means to ask of God wisdom. Third thing we are to do. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. He that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. He is not, we are not to be double-minded. The next thing is to be single-minded. Very often when we ask God to direct us, something rises up on the inside. We know this is what I am to do. But then, if you talk to that person about an hour later, they change what they were to do about five times. I think God wants me to do this. I think God wants me to do that. Beloved, we have got to be confident in our relationship with God. When God says, this is what you are to do, rise, take up your bed and walk, stretch forth thine hand, or do this or do that, we are to be confident that that's what God said do. I know He said to do it. I am doing it right now. And even though some more opposition may come your way at the moment that you try to do or attempt to do what God said do, don't get so frustrated and don't get to where you don't believe that you know God. Stay single-minded. This is what God said do. I am doing it to the end. And you can't change. I won't change. I'm confident that I heard my God. If He just instructed me, go to the Word and do this. Because that's what my Word says. Then you know what? Go to the Word, find it, and do exactly what He said do. And you stick with that and don't get double-minded. Thinking that you've got about 20 other things to do. Do exactly what He said do. I've been in places where I heard people say, the Lord instructed me to get this particular tape and listen to it and not stop listening to it until I got delivered. And that's what they did. And when the temptation came, you know what? People can get bored, can't they? I mean, you hear a tape about 50 times in a row, you get bored. Come on, right? But it all depends. What do you want? Do you want a result or not? Will you do what it takes to make you whole or won't you? One woman for six months listened to a tape, a series of tapes, Brother Hagen, that had club feet. She just listened and 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 listened for six solid months. At the end of six months, she looked down and she said, Straighten out in the name of Jesus. And it became whole just like that. She looked at the other one and said, Straighten out in the name of Jesus. And she was whole just like that. See, the problem is that we don't have patience and perseverance. She didn't, 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 didn't until she finally got to a place. All that she needed to, say, glean from those tapes, all that she needed to put in herself from those tapes took time to get in her. And you know what? She was willing to do what it took to get to that place that she could look down and say, Be made whole. And she was. Are we willing? Don't be double-minded. Be single-minded. Stick with it and stay there. And don't give up. Next. Now notice, we're just going to back up here just for a minute. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. It's close by. Verse 35. As we are staying single-minded, this is where we are going to need our patience. Because 
there's always the tendency for us to be wavering and double-minded when we are encountering all kinds of difficulties. It's physical, if it's emotional, whatever it is. There's always that tendency because we are natural human beings, tripart beings with true emotional needs and desires and all that. But here, he says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath a great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye had done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. We have need of the ability to remain single-minded and stand firm in the face of all opposing forces. We have the need... Of patience or for patience. So that we are not so quickly moved or removed from what we are believing. Why? Because it has a great recompense of reward. After you've done the will of God, which is acting on what God wants you to do, He says, then you're going to inherit or obtain the promise or the blessing, whatever it is. Just as those men acted on what God said do, and then as a result, they experienced the blessing that God intended for them. So they acted on the will of God, and they got their need met. So don't give up. Don't allow circumstances to roll you over. Allow the Word of God to be maintained in your mind, your thinking, as you're single-minded about the situation, and you're not removed or or moved from your, your, your platform of faith. Then once again, God is still working in that situation and will continue to work. So let patience have her perfect work. Beloved, if we don't allow patience to have its perfect work in our lives, it won't. We have got to allow it. Let patience have her perfect work in you. That you may be perfect and entire. Isn't it up to us then? Let patience have her perfect work in you. If I don't let it, it won't have it. But if I allow it, it'll have it. How do I do that? Oh, I know it's a struggle. I know it's a fight. In the face of all opposing forces, to stand firm and movable and persevere and persist even though you have obstacles right in your face? I know it is. But God said do it. And if He said do it, we can do it. And if we'll continue doing that, we'll develop in this area of patience, which has a great recompense of reward. After we've done the will of God, we'll inherit the promise. So remain confident. Another thing to do, going back to James, another principle, you will notice the reason why he is saying this is due to the fact that we are going to encounter temptations and tests and trials when it comes to our faith. So in verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, tested, or tried, I'm tempted, tested, tried of God. Remember who is opposing you. That's the next principle. Because when you remember or remind yourself of who it is that's opposing you, you'll get some holy anger on the inside of you. Did you know that? You will become angry on the inside. You'll have a holy anger about you. You will become so violent with the devil. You'll stand up for your rights. It'll just reinforce within yourself that, look, I'm not, I'm not caving in under this. I'm not giving in to this. I know who you are. I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to destroy my physical body. You're trying to take my peace of mind away from me. You're trying to do whatever it is, any area of life this applies to. This is the instruction that God has given us. These are the principles upon which we are to act so that we can be overcomers. So remember, the problem's not coming from God. The problem is either a physical one because of the law that was already set in motion or there is a satanic origin behind it 
where there are demon forces or powers like a spirit of infirmity trying to keep you sick or, or prevent you from having soundness and wholeness in any part of your life. And if you read on through, through there, you'll find out verses 13 right on through 21. He then encourages the believer not to do this. Another principle. Don't allow the lust of your flesh. See, every man is tempted and tested and tried when he's enticed in his own lust. Don't allow the lust of your flesh. And then in verse 21, he talks about getting their minds renewed or saved from their corrupt reasoning faculties. So don't allow, notice this principle, the lust of your flesh. And don't allow the unrenewed mind with this, uh, with this corrupt reasoning faculties to distract you from the Word of God. Get a hold of this, beloved. It's, it's extremely important. Because when your body's racked with pain, it wants sympathy. When your emotions are so overwhelmed by heartache and pain, you'll want sympathy. And there's no question about that. But, beloved... Don't allow the lust of your flesh, what it desires, to be catered to. Don't allow your emotions or your corrupt reasoning faculties to cave in under that. Don't allow those two forces to distract you from the Word of God. Now, make note of this. Whenever we encounter a difficulty or a battle, our spirit, soul, and body is going to have a warfare. You ready for this? Your spirit man... Once the things of God, it's willing, but the flesh is weak. Didn't Jesus say that? What you do with your reasoning faculties is going to determine the outcome of the situation. You get your soulish realm to line up with your body and you'll be defeated because the two-thirds will make a majority. Two-thirds majority will always win in any, any democratic vote. Two-thirds majority. My body and my soul line up against my spirit. And therefore, I'm held captive. If that means embarrassment, if that means humiliation, then that woman, the moment embarrassment and humiliation would have captured her thinking, she would have stopped right then. When those people said that, well, I don't want to embarrass you, I don't want to embarrass myself or humiliate you anymore, I'll stop doing this thing. I'm sorry, I apologize. And that all sounds good, doesn't it? She would have walked away from her miracle. But she didn't let those two slide up against her spirit. I will do what it takes to get my miracle. I will do what it takes. I will not be distracted. I will not allow the lust of my flesh to dictate to my life. God's Word is dictating to my life. With His stripes, I was healed. I will do what God said do. I count it joy. Not that I'm going through a trial or a test. I count it joy knowing the joy of the Lord is my strength. So I rejoice no matter what I'm facing in this life. I ask of God wisdom to direct me. To broaden the picture. To give me more understanding. Whatever I need to do. And then whatever He says to do, I'm going to act upon it. I'm going to do exactly what He says to do. And beloved, if we'll do that, I I know without doubt at the moment that we begin to act in alignment with God's Word according to the principles established, God's miracle working power will go into effect. And the healing process, the delivering process, the restoration process will begin. It's powerful work. 
Thank you for listening to our Legacy Teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.